Well, good morning and welcome to Burke Community Church on this Thanksgiving weekend. I hope that you had a wonderful Thanksgiving with family, that all your endomorphins are uh, plump and happy, all your endodolphins are swimming throughout your system or something. And So don't fight it if uh, you feel an overwhelming sense that you have to nod off during the sermon. I already bless you. Don't, uh, don't fight it. Uh, just go with it. It's a once-a-year thing that you stuff yourself so fully, but I'm glad that you're here. Here, worshiping online or here in the sanctuary. My name is Michael Coffey. If you're a visitor here for the first time or online, the senior pastor, Dr. Marty Baker, is returning from California with his grandchildren as his daughter and son-in-law prepare to move here to Northern Virginia. So he'll be back here next week, and I encourage you, if you've not heard him preached, by all means, check out our services. Again, we're blessed to have, I think, the best Bible teacher in the nation as a senior pastor here, and so I'd like for you to come back and see him. Uh, you know, I did a little reading in preparation for this sermon, and what a wonderful thing it is that we have the internet and just have so much knowledge. How many of y'all are you know, able to remember back with me when it didn't even exist? Now at the fingertip, you can just tap into so many different things. And there was a Christian writer named Andy Cook that I was reading in preparation for this sermon. I wanted to give him a footnote. Really uh, profoundly uh, made me think about a few uh, different points in this passage as I read that, so I'd be wrong if I didn't footnote him. But I want to start off uh, a little differently than the way we do here at BCC. Let's start off with a joke. All right, A large dog walks into a butcher shop carrying a wallet in its mouth, puts the wallet up on the counter, Butcher is a little surprised by that and says, uh, what do you want, boy? You, uh, you want some meat? Wolf. Okay. Uh, you want some pork chops? You want some chicken? You want some steak? Wolf. You want some steak? Wolf. Wolf. You want a couple of pounds of steak? Uh, half a pound? pound? Wolf. You want a pound of steak? Wolf. So he wraps it up, puts it in the bag, takes the money out of the wallet, offers the wallet back. The dog just sits there, so he offers to put it in the bag. The dog wags his tail, so he drops the wallet in the bag, folds it up, gives the bag to the dog. Dog takes it, goes out. The butcher thinks, I got to check that out a little more. Takes off his apron, closes up the door, follows him. He doesn't have to follow the dog very far. It only goes about half a block down, goes up into an apartment building, goes up a flight of stairs, and immediately starts scratching and jumping up and pounding on a door. And suddenly the door bursts open, and a large guy just starts shouting at the dog, calling him all sorts of names and hollering at him. And the butcher runs up and says, Don't yell at that dog. That is the most intelligent dog I've ever seen in my life. And the man said, intelligent? That's the third time this week that dog's forgotten his key. <laughs> so today's theme of being thankful, and the man obviously was not thankful for what he uh, had, but we want to look today at a passage of Scripture in Luke 17 as we think about thankfulness, I appreciate the band and the songs that they led us in and the opportunities to praise God for the thankfulness that he uh, has 
just elicited from our souls for his goodness to us. In Luke 17, starting at verse 11, we see where Jesus is on his way to Jerusalem, and he's passing between Samaria and Galilee. Okay. And as he enters a village, ten men with leprosy are standing off at a distance, and they met him, and they raised their voices, saying, Jesus, Master, have mercy on us. And when he saw them, he said, Go and show yourselves to the priests. And as they were going, they were cleansed. Now one of them, when he saw that he'd been healed, he turned back, glorifying God with a loud voice. And he fell on his face at Jesus' feet, giving thanks to him. And the text says, and he was a Samaritan. But Jesus responded and said, were there not ten cleansed, but the nine? Where are they? Was no one found to return to give glory to God except this foreigner? And he said to the man, stand up, go, your faith has made you well. I want to look at that passage with you today. I think it's so many lessons in my life that I need to learn from this passage. We start off with 10 men who had what was probably the most terrifying disease of their day, possibly of any age. You would have to be looked at by the priest uh, at different times in your life to see if you had some sort of contagious skin disease. And that could be something as simple as eczema that you might have been suffering with, even when you began to go bald and maybe you uh, started having some flakiness on your head and your hair was changing to a different color, it would be important for the priest to look at you and see if you had an infectious disease. But what they're talking about more than likely in this case is a truly ravaging disease. Uh, it goes by a name of Hansen's disease that you pick up from a bacterium and it can be so devastating. Uh, the image of lepers and leper colonies, leprosy could attack the body, it could leave sores, it could cause you to begin to lose digits, fingers and toes, it could damage your limbs. In a lot of cases, the initial pain of the skin disease and the way it looked and the way it progressed was even more insidious that you would begin to lose feeling in the limbs. So then you were more prone to injury and burns. In the worst case scenario, the disease could last for 30 years or more as you continue to lose mobility and ability. And beyond the horror of the grotesqueness of the disease, which assaulted every sensory perception of you and anyone near you, the emotional pain of a leper probably could never really be imagined. Much worse than the physical pain and loss because you instantly were an outcast to what was such a tight community that you'd always known and grown up in and been involved. You were immediately removed from your family, your livelihood, all your friends, all the community. Once the priest pronounced that you were a leper, no more contact. Not with your children, not with your grandchildren. You certainly couldn't go and kiss your wife goodbye. Immediately just had to tear your clothes as a sign of a leper, cover your face, and begin walking around shouting for people to stay far, far away from you. Instantaneous. No appeal. Condemned as a leper. Unless you could be healed. 
And so they would often band together and roam together, looking for food, begging for food, begging for assistance from great distance. They always had to stay away, so you would sometimes see them banding together. And that's why in this case you see a Samaritan with some Jewish lepers, where normally they would have never been together. It was out of necessity here. When you think about modern movies nowadays where the world in the future is always a dark sort of dystopic uh, place and you think about the different gangs that seem to band together for survival, it's that sort of a picture here of these lepers. Uh, anything they can do to just try to stay alive while they're watching their bodies just fall apart on them. And in this account, ten men, they see Jesus and his disciples walking near a village. They recognize him. They've probably heard about him. And they cry out for him to have pity upon them. And it's interesting. He answers and he simply says, yelling back to them across the distance, although he didn't have to. There was an incident where he actually reached out and shocked everybody by touching a leper who asked to be healed when nobody thought anyone would do that. But in this case, he yells back to them as they're uh, shouting to him, and he simply says, go show yourselves to the priest. Now, why did he say that? Well, the priests, besides leading the religious services on the Sabbath, they were also the health officials for the nation of Israel. If a person was healed of leprosy, it was up to the priest to inspect the body and announce that the person was healed. Same thing for the other. If a person was suspected of having infectious disease, the priest would look at him, put him in isolation for seven days, bring him back, look at him, put him in isolation for another seven days, and then either declare him to be okay to go back into the community or condemned as a leper to live outside the community after that. But it was the priest who had to pronounce that the leper had been cleansed or healed, and therefore he's allowed readmittance back into Jewish society. So when Jesus says to these lepers, go show yourselves to the priest, think about that moment. It's an actual moment in time that happened. He tells them to go show themselves to the priest. They've just asked for pity. They've just asked for mercy. And they look down at their bodies, and not a thing has changed. It's the same disfigured hand, body, grotesque skin that they see. They look at their mate next to them. He looks exactly as repulsive as he did a moment ago. In other words, all of these men were no better off than they'd been moments before when they first spotted Jesus walking by. And for me, this was the crucial moment of faith. Do they obey? Do they go show themselves to the priest? Or do they wait for proof of a miracle before they start moving out? I don't know how long they waited, but the text indicates that they eventually headed off. The text doesn't say what Jesus was doing. For all I know, he turned and just kept walking. He was walking when they saw him, and so they may have stood there for a moment in this sort of awkward thing that he's walking away, but we haven't changed at all. But they headed off looking for a priest, and on their way, don't know how it happened, but I suspect it was something like one of them suddenly felt tingling in a limb or a hand that had been numb before. Digits and fingers began to grow again. Skin cleared. Tiny hairs on a forearm that had been white 
change back to a normal brown color. They could look at each other and suddenly they could see skin being refreshed on one of the other's faces. And the sheer wonder of that moment when they realized that in obedience as they were going to the priest that they were in the process of being healed. Can you imagine what that moment must have been like? How could they not break into smiles behind the rotted cloth that they've been having to wear on their face and shout for so many years for people to stay away from? How could there not have been an eruption of laughter and amazement? No doubt they definitely picked up their pace, no longer having to hobble as they'd done for years on limbs that had been attacked by the disease. As they realize the nightmare is over. But in order for that miracle to happen... They had to trust. They had to start walking in faith before their circumstances changed at all. And here's a lesson for all of us, I think, on this Thanksgiving weekend. You can't wait until all your problems are gone to start walking in faith. You can't say, Lord, you know, as soon as there is enough money, I will follow your instructions. You can't pray, Lord... As soon as you solve this issue in my family, then I'll start serving in the church. You don't put conditions and requirements upon God. Instead, he places a demand of faith upon us that we need to trust him, take him at his word, move out on what he seems to be telling us to do, possibly before we ever see any of our struggles or difficulties change. The path of thankfulness is often along this very narrow way. He gives you an opportunity to trust when there seems to be nothing about your circumstances that would give you the motivation to trust. That's the very essence of a verse in Hebrews 11. Look at what it says in Hebrews 11, and then follow on with Hebrews verse 6. Now, faith is the certainty of things hoped for, a proof of things not seen. There it is. There's the definition. Then he gets very specific and concrete in verse 6. And without faith, it is impossible to please God. For the one who comes to God must believe that he exists and that he proves to be the one who rewards those who seek him. If you think God only on the good days and only in the best of circumstances, then you're not living a life of faith at all. Some of you, I know, are in tough Maybe horrible situations right now. I know that. I know that. And what awaits you this week? These words this morning might be forced into question. Will you give thanks despite the circumstances you find yourself in now? If so, then you are on the path of faith and trust. There was a pastor from North Carolina named uh, Jack Hinton. He went on a short-term mission uh, in 1996 to the leper colony on the island Tobongo. Um, they had some time as he was leading some services there, and he asked if there was a song that somebody wanted to sing as part of the service. And there was a woman, she'd actually had her face turned away from him, but she turned around and he admitted that it was truly the most hideous face he had ever seen. Her nose was gone. Her lips were beginning to disappear. She'd lost digits on her hands. But she held up her stump of a hand and said, Can we sing Count Your Many Blessings? And Pastor Hinton 
said that he was just overwhelmed by emotion. Just broke down and cried right there. And when he could finally compose himself again, they sang the hymn. But he said, you know, I've never been able to sing that hymn the same way since that moment. In this passage, when the healing occurs, one of the men comes back to Jesus. It says he praised in a loud voice. He was thankful. He was very public about it. He was very boisterous in his sound that he was making, and he threw himself at Jesus' feet. Now, why was he so loud? We're talking about a man who possibly for decades had had to live his life shouting at the top of his voice for people to stay away from him. He probably, over that time, didn't even realize how loud his voice had become. Probably unaware in his joy just how loud he was. Uh, didn't even know maybe how to come to the Lord quietly. Probably didn't even want to. He came back, he fell at his feet. He's praising God in a voice louder than a normal person would. And so that's why it's important during this Thanksgiving week and the holiday season, Christmas coming up, that you take time to acknowledge God for his goodness. Be sure to actually be thankful. Be sure to gather those that celebrate with you around for a prayer of thanksgiving. And I mean a real prayer of thanksgiving. Don't give up the opportunity to worship God this week or in the upcoming Christmas season. Don't let the busyness of that time and the meals that have to be prepared and things have to be done. Don't let somebody in the family who says that they don't believe and they don't like when you talk all this Jesus stuff. Don't give in to that. Be public. Be outspoken. Be humble before Christ and others about your thankfulness to him. For he has done great things for all of us. Only one leper came back. He caught himself in the midst of celebration with his friends that he'd been with for so long, but he stopped and he returned to Jesus. He reversed his steps. He put it, seeing his family, his friends, put, putting the priest who would declare him to be whole, well on hold. He came back to what he knew was the source or the true cause of his celebration. His thankfulness led to action. He reversed course. He came back. He fell at Jesus' feet, and he worshiped, and Christ used it as a teaching moment because he asked a question. Where are the other nine? When Jesus tells him, go and show yourself to the priest, did he anywhere in there say, and when you notice that you're getting healed, stop, come back, thank me? Doesn't say that anywhere. So in one sense, the other nine did exactly what he told them to do. Go show yourselves to the priest. They did that. But this one knew that he wanted to come back to the source, knew that he wanted to come back to the healer, knew that he was still going to go see the priest, but he was so caught up in thankfulness that his life had been saved and changed that he reversed course and he came back. What kind of action is Jesus looking for from you? What's the Holy Spirit been urging you to do as an action step? What's the Lord been tugging on your heart for some time as a step of faith? For this leper, it was to return. 
to go back to Christ and say thanks. What is God asking of you to do? When we look at the scriptures again, and I want to talk about, it's interesting here in this. Talking about healing and cleansing. There's three different words that are used here in this passage. And they say so much there. But they're all talking about being healed. They're all talking about being cleansed. They're all talking about being forgiven. In verse 15, it says, one of them, when he saw, he was healed. That term, as you look the way it's used time and time again in the Greek and in the New Testament, it's, it's oftentimes just a medical term. It's a repair. It's a mending. It's a healing. It's a broken bone that's fixed. Uh, somebody who's been patched up. Then just a couple of verses later, Jesus says, we're not all ten cleansed. The word that's there, we actually, uh, it's a root for the word that we get catheter from, the idea of removing impurities from your body. And, there, and he said, weren't ten cleansed? Weren't ten who were impure made pure? The first one, and this guy healed? Isn't he mended? Isn't he well? Weren't nine others cured of impurities that were there? And then in verse 19, he looks at this very thankful man. He says, rise and go. Your faith has made you well. And that's a very different word there too. It's a word that has the idea of salvation behind it, of being saved, of being protected in a way that you could have been in such a dangerous situation, but now you're saved. When Matthew begins his gospel, it starts with the Christmas story. The angel tells Joseph to name the Christ child Jesus because he would save, same root word there, he would save his people from their sins. When Paul describes what happens to a person who publicly confessed Jesus as Lord and Savior, he uses this word. He says, if you'll confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. Same root word. Fixed physically, cleansed of impurity, saved from all danger. When Jesus says that to this very thankful man, as he's there at his feet worshiping him, as he's restoring him back possibly to his family, to his livelihood, to his life as he knew it before, He's telling him, your faith has saved you. For me, this whole story was so powerful this week. I am one of those lepers. I am that repulsive person that he is fixed by his grace, that he's removed impurities, that he's saved. You can be too if you're not. There's no sin that makes you unlovable to God. He's willing to call you his friend. He's willing to stand beside you. It was his death that paid for your sin, and you can't stop that. That too was a point in time in history. His death has occurred. You can only accept it as a pardon. The innocent dying for you, the guilty, as he died for me, the guilty. You can only accept it and give thanks. Nothing you've done disqualifies you from it. No failure is going to be able to negate his love. I think the miracle of thanksgiving is the love of Jesus for me and for you.
No exceptions. No qualifications. No doubts. He loves you. And for that, O oh merciful God, we are thankful. We thank you, Heavenly Father, for your great love. And we cry out with loud voice, thank you, thank you for your great salvation. Amen.